0: This week we are thinking about prophecy. Uh, if you've not been with us for the last few weeks, last week we thought about the gift of tongues. And we've been thinking about how Paul is uh, helping us to become equipped to be spiritual warriors. And the main, one of the main weapons that Paul encourages the church to use is that of prophecy. It's a difficult subject, but it is nevertheless an important one. I think that the main difficulty with how we uh, feel about this subject comes from the way that we instinctively picture a prophet or someone who prophesies. When I I say the word prophet, I think our mind can quickly go to uh, pictures like these. You have uh, the man on the mountain with an enormous bushy beard who is speaking in a booming voice. Holding forth in King James English about the terrible things that will happen in the future. Or perhaps you might have uh, this picture in your mind of someone standing uh, with a billboard. You can't see this picture. It's a man standing with a, a billboard, uh, sandwich board over his body. And it says, the end is nigh. And then there's a picture taken five seconds later and he says, uh, thank goodness I was wrong. And I I want to suggest that these images that we have of a man with an enormous white beard holding forth against the evils of the world uh, are not very helpful if we want to understand what it is that the Bible talks about as prophecy and actually what Christians understand prophecy to be. Prophecy for St Paul isn't something weird or distant. It's not something reserved for strangers or outsiders with questionable personal hygiene. Despite my best efforts, it isn't even necessary to have a beard, uh, to be a prophet. A prophecy is intended by God to be a normal, helpful and encouraging part of our Christian lives. It's an extremely powerful tool for growing as a Christian community in love and in holiness and it helps us to reach out in God's power to others. And we're going to look at the way that St Paul uh, talks about prophecy in a moment. First, before we go on to that, I want to give you my snapshot, my lunchtime summary, the thing that sums up what it is that I want you to take away from this morning. And that's this. God wants us to sorry, God wants to speak through each of us to show us he loves us To build us up and to challenge us to become like Jesus. God wants to speak through each one of us to show us he loves us, to build us up and to challenge us to become like Jesus. God wants to speak through each one of us to show us he loves us, to build us up and to challenge us to become like Jesus. Let's read the Bible. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is where we've been for the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to read the verses that deal with prophecy. Uh, So we're going to miss out those that deal with uh, tongues uh, specifically. So we're going to read uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 20 to 40. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are to mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. And then Paul uh, addresses tongues at some length. If you're interested in that, then I suggest you go and check out last week's talk. So skipping forward to verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they're convicted of sin, And are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what's said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God's not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of God. I I want to say right at the start that I'm not going to address in detail uh, verses uh, 29 through to uh, 35. Uh, I understand that they raise questions for people. I have actually written a A reasonably long article uh, that's on my blog. You can find it through our Facebook site or through our website uh, that deals with the whole question about why Paul is saying that women should remain silent in church. Uh, He's already said in chapter 11 that he wants women to be one of those prophesying. Some of those prophesying. He expects them to be praying and prophesying alongside the men. Um, In brief, what he's trying to do is stop a completely chaotic situation where you have uh, two or three Speakers speaking over each other and uh, the people around them, who in this church happen to be women, uh, shouting questions, essentially heckling. Uh, that verses uh, 29 to 35 are really dealing with the question of uh, proper order in services and uh, why it's not good to heckle each other uh, with questions trying to demean each other's contributions. He's saying essentially if you have a if you have a genuine question about something, you should do it in private. And it happened that the people he was who were uh, throwing the questions out in the church in Corinth were women. Uh, Presumably also throwing questions, women throwing questions at women speakers. Uh, So anyway, uh, you can read more about that on my blog. I'm not going to go into it in detail now, but it's fairly clear from the early parts of First Corinthians that Paul envisages women playing a full role in public worship alongside men. Uh, But they need to do it in a proper and orderly way, just like the guys do. So what do we mean by prophecy? When we talk about prophecy, we're talking about God communicating with people now in a way that has particular relevance at this time. Time is a big deal in prophecy. It's a big deal because it is the word of God brought to significance in a particular moment. It's God's communication to us of what we need to know now. It's not, in a sense, uh, the same as the scriptures. These are eternal truths. The scriptures are eternally true. They are the word of God. It's not the same as Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. These are things that are authoritative and are universally true in all places and at all times. And... Uh, That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is God speaking what people need to know in a particular moment, either with reference to the past. So God saying here is something that's happened in the past that allows us to understand uh, how we feel at the present can be very helpful in pastoral ministry in unlocking hurt. And we'll think a bit more about that in a moment. Or God saying, I see the situation you're going through at the moment, so I can see your present circumstances and I know where you are. And this is how my truth, my eternal truth, relates to where you're at in this moment. Or I can see what's going to happen to you. And this is what you need to know for walking through what's going to happen to you. Now, how we feel about the idea that God is communicating with us in this moment very often reflects how we see God. One of the reasons we find this idea difficult is because of the way that we see and we understand and think about God. If unconsciously we think of of God as someone who is distant, either in space or in time, so God can be pictured as somebody who lives a long, long way away on top of a cloud uh, in space or on the other side of the world, somewhere distant from us. Or God is somebody who lived a long time ago and that's when he spoke and that's when he worked. Then we struggle with the idea that God can speak now. The view of God as distant in time and space is very common. Lots and lots of people think of God in this way. That God is someone who used to work. God is someone who used to be uh, uh, speaking in the world. Or perhaps that God is someone who is well intentioned but distant from my circumstances. Even if we reject those ideas with our uh, explicit thoughts, we hold on to that we hold on to that framework unconsciously. But this isn't actually a Christian way of understanding God. It's not actually how Christians should think of God, it's not how the Bible portrays God. Within Christian thought, in the world of the Bible, God is understood not simply to be a God of the past, but a God of the present, and indeed a God of the future. He's not a God who is distant from us, but a God who dwells with us. We've thought about this a lot over the last few weeks, and in some ways it's essential to the idea that God is working through the church in what we call miraculous ways. Uh, But it bears repeating. God, for example, did not simply set the world going and then just leave it to develop and evolve by itself. He is active and working in every moment of creation. You know, we can get this idea that God created the world by speaking and then sort of step back from it. I think that, that sometimes the way that creation is portrayed, actually, that's the way that we We speak about it as if the the intention of the writers of Genesis was to say that God stopped working on the seventh day and he'd not done anything since. When actually that's not the way the scripture speaks. In the words of Psalm 104, all creatures look to you, to God. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. In other words, creation isn't something that happened in the past. Although it did, it is something that's happening in the present. God is still creating. When you send your spirit, all creatures are created and you renew the face of the ground. God is constantly, continuously at work in the world. Yes, there was something which was unique about the beginning... God did do something unrepeatable and unique. You know, you don't have two or three or four big bangs. There is one moment of creation in which God spoke. God created the heavens and the earth. And there is something unique about particular moments in creation. The moment when God takes uh, that which he has made and creates from it human beings. Is unique and unrepeatable. And yet God is still at work. He's active and engaged with life on the earth as it is now. If I could put it this way, God didn't simply create Adam and then come as Jesus and then that was the sum total of his care for humanity. He sees and works and speaks into your life and into mine now. God is intimately bound up with every second of every day. It continues and it exists in him and for him and because of him. You are breathing because God continues to will that you do so and empowers you to do so. The flowers and the foxes and the fields and the fountains are renewed because God continues to will it. God is not distant in space... He is present with us. In the words of the Greek Orthodox prayer, God is present in all places and he fills all things. God is not distant in time, acting in Jesus and then going away. He is active and working now. And now. And now. And now. And now. Now, there is something unrepeatable and unique and authoritative about what God has done in the past. In this life, we will never be able to see what God is like better than looking at Jesus. He is the uh, the image of the invisible God. We'll never have any teaching as authoritative as the Bible. But God didn't stop speaking at that moment. He speaks... The the application of his truth, of the truth of Jesus Christ into our lives now. Why? Because we need it. Because we need it. You know, if God was simply to speak something true and then leave us to work out how to apply it, what would that be? What kind of life, what kind of relationship would that be? essentially God depositing a divine map and then leaving leaving us to find our own way. No, he comes as a guide to walk beside us and to lead us in the path. Now, this is an amazing truth. That God is still speaking and applying the truth of Christ and the scriptures in a way that is relevant to our lives now. It's relevant to your life now. It's an amazing truth. When we understand what prophecy is, the God of all time and space speaking into your life and mine, to reassure us, to challenge us and to guide us now, it becomes obvious why Paul says we should eagerly desire it. In uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Be eager to see it, chapter 14 and verse 39, and not despise it, First Thessalonians 5 and verse 20. Now this touches on a second reason that I think we struggle with prophecy. We can think of prophecy as something that is inherently negative. Essentially, the prophecy amounts to God warning or someone warning of a divine judgment. We can imagine that prophecy is not something we should desire, but something we should fear. Because a prophet is like Jeremiah standing at the city gates proclaiming that the world is about to be destroyed or the the land is about to fall. We can find it hard to get our heads around prophecy because we imagine that prophecy is essentially a prediction of doom and why would anybody eagerly desire that there be prophets of doom in their church? I can honestly tell you that we have never had a deacons meeting at which I've sat there and said, do you know what I need more of? I need somebody who's going to proclaim the doom of the church. I need somebody who's going to point out all the reasons why my ministry is going to fail. And I can think that nobody has had that thought. But this isn't how, how Paul sees prophecy at all. If you look at verses three to four, he says it, "But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging and for their comfort. The one who prophesies edifies, that is, builds up the church. In other words, Paul is saying, "When God speaks to us, it is good." Even when he is correcting us, even when he is challenging us, that challenge is aimed at building us up, not breaking us down. Prophecy strengthens. It encourages and it comforts. My friends, can you get your head around this? It it can imagine how encouraging it is to know that God sees your life and your circumstances and that he has a particular way of you getting through them. How helpful and comforting is it in the moment when you are facing pastoral crises to know that someone is able to see the hurt that you have experienced and you have suffered without you having to tell someone about it and to speak it and to allow it to be healed. You know, there have been times in my own ministry when this has happened. When I've listened to someone speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking about going on and on about particular things and complaints that they have. And in the end, I've been asking God quietly while they're talking, Lord, what is going on here? And then I've been able to say to them, actually, I wonder whether this happened and it's causing you a problem. That's the real problem. And then when they turn around, and they say, yes, it is. We are able to pray and to talk and to deal, about, deal with the real problem. I remember very clearly someone who was in mine and Heather's living room and we were talking and they were going on and on and on. And in the end, we ended up talking about a major hurt that had happened in their past that they didn't, hadn't brought up. But we just sensed that it was there. And then uh, we were able to pray and to deal with the actual problem. How helpful and comforting is it to know that God sees all the heart that has been done to you and has a way of bringing it to a place where it can be healed? Or to know what the circumstances are that you're facing at the moment. That God knows the difficulties you're facing at school, or at work, or in your family. Stuff that you don't want to talk to anyone about. Stuff that you can't, uh, that you feel ashamed about, maybe. Stuff that you feel challenged about, or excited about. And God wants you to know that He sees you in it, and He has a way for you through it. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that comforting? Isn't that strengthening? To know that the God of all the universe sees our lives and wants to be a part of them. Wants to speak words into them. He didn't just leave us with a book, a reference guide, to then ponder and chew and discuss. But he himself wants to speak to us because he himself is walking with us. Or to know that God has a plan for you for the future. That God sees the next stage of your life and is willing to give you wisdom to walk in it. I can think now very clearly of a man who gave us a (coughs) a word from God. Excuse me, when I first began my uh, my pastoral ministry. And it's actually stayed on our fridge ever since. We wrote it down and it's stayed in our fridge ever since. But I cannot tell you the number of times that I've come back. It wasn't in detail about what would happen. It was principles, God speaking and actually saying something that he knew I would need to remember. A particular part of revelation from the scriptures that I would need to remember if my ministry was going to be effective. And I, I cannot tell you how helpful it's been. That God is guiding our paths before we get there. Actually, the funny thing is, for the first couple of years, I didn't think about it at all. I left it there and thought, oh, it's a bit. Uh, it was nice of the person to speak it. It was nice of the person to write it up and give it to us afterwards, but it isn't that relevant. And then one day, suddenly I was, I was uh, in the midst of having to deal with something. And I thought, oh, goodness me, I don't know how to deal with it. And then I came back to this word that God had spoken. And it gave me strength and it encouraged me. My friends, God loves each one of us and is present with us and walking with us and he wants to speak with us. No wonder Paul tells us to eagerly desire prophecy because prophecy is good, because God is good. And when God speaks, it is good. We should eagerly desire prophecy because prophecy is good and it builds us up. So this brings me on to my third part. I'm going to touch on a a third uh, query that we could have, particularly that you might have if you've come from a more conservative uh, tradition with regards to this that doesn't uh, believe that these uh, chapters of the scriptures still Apply now. I have to say I can see no warrant for that argument at all uh, from the Bible. Uh, If prophecy is good and desirable and reflects God's active interest in our lives, how do we do it? What does it look like? You might be thinking to yourself, Phil, you've convinced me. I think it's great. I want to be a part of this. I want to be speaking in this way, but I don't understand how uh, to go about it. And it's a pressing question. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm wondering whether Phil's losing his mind a little bit. You know, his eyes have gone a little bit fiery, they're glistening away that frankly seems a bit unhealthy. Uh, We've noticed in the past few weeks, Phil, that your beard has been growing a little bit longer and growing a little bit wilder. And uh, we need to know, are you defending hearing voices? Are you encouraging us to hear voices? Do we need to go and call someone? How should we share prophetic words? You know, do we need to work on our beards? Do we need to practice really deep voices? You know, If you want to be a prophet, you have to be able to speak like Brian Blessed. You know, I am here. Or learn to use uh, thee and thou instead of you. you know, you've got to be able to get up to speed on Shakespeare and English. And thankfully, neither hearing things nor growing facial hair is essential to eagerly desiring prophecy. God speaks to us in a variety of ways. You know, there is an enormous variety of people in the world. There are people who are creative and people who are analytic. There are people who are black and people who are white. There are people from Hong Kong and South Africa and England and uh, Scotland and Wales. And all of these are represented in our church community. And uh, Eastern European families in our church as well. And... We each bring something different to the church. We are diverse, and God isn't upset about that. God isn't looking at the world and thinking, "Well, I had a template, and you've all turned out a little bit different from it." You know, when you are uh, freehand drawing uh, children's pictures, and you draw t- fifteen Mickey Mouses. You know, it's... for those of you who haven't had to prepare for kids' parties, don't worry about this. Uh, but for those of you who had, you might be, might be. Uh, ringing a few bells, you know, you're having to draw all these things and they all come out a little bit different, you're sitting there thinking I thought I'd, I thought I'd drawn the same mouse every time but on this one his ear looks a bit square you know, I remember uh, for toddler group I had to draw a whole load of trees <laughs> trees for the children to put leaves on, autumn leaves on right. Heather says to me as I'm heading out of the door you know, Phil, uh, I can't come to Todd group this morning I've got to do something else, I think she had a meeting um, it's fine, I've got people to help you set up but all I want is for you to draw to draw the trees on the cards. You know, 40 trees on the cards. And I'm drawing these things. And I've got to tell you, some of them do not look like trees. And some of them are so scary that I actually end up drawing eyes on them and giving them to the adults. as a joke. And there's no way that you could give these trees to children. They would be uh, having nightmares about them. And I'm looking at them afterwards and thinking, I tried to draw the same tree every time. You know, this was supposed to be a template of a tree. And somehow it's ended up like, vastly different. And... God isn't like me. You know, he isn't looking at the world and thinking, well, I wanted to create one type of person, and then accidentally, because my hand kept slipping, changed it to all these different people. You know, I wanted everyone to be Nigerian, and I accidentally my hand slipped, and now some of them are from England, and they seem obsessed with tea. God desires the variety of the world. right? He rejoices in it. He wants you to be you, and me to be me, and we to be we. And just as there's a variety of people in the world... God has a variety of ways that he speaks to us in a way that's designed to help us to share with other people. Just as there is enormous variety in the world, so there is enormous variety in the way that God speaks to us. Why? Because he speaks to you in a way that's appropriate for you. And to me in a way that's appropriate for me. I remember when I was at university there were a couple of speakers who made a real impact on me when they came to speak at our church and one of them was a missionary who had been working in japan uh, japan's a very difficult field for missionaries and he was telling a story of a time when he'd been with a, a famous japanese uh, ballet dancer don't ask me who i'm not up on ballet and he'd just been chatting and they passing the time of day were talking about the one person they would like to meet from history, and unexpectedly, because Japan is not a very very religious country in the sense of being interested in Western religion, this woman said to him, do you know the one person I would like to meet from history is Jesus? You know, to a missionary, that's like a red rag to a bull. She said, oh yes. She says, yes, I bet if I met him, he would speak Japanese. I bet if I met him, he would speak Japanese. I don't know what it is about that story that still moves me to tears now, but I guess it's the, the sense that she had that God knew who she was, knows who she is. And if you were to meet Jesus, that he would talk to her in a way that was meaningful for her. God speaks to us in a variety of ways. He might give you an impression of something when you're praying for someone or talking to them. You're talking to someone or you're praying with them privately and you just suddenly get a sense. You can't, you can't put your finger on it, but a sense that, that there's something that we need to talk about or pray about. And you just say, look, is this, a, is this something you that means something to you? Or it could be a picture or a vision you see with your mind's eye. You know, it's not uh, imagining things, and it's not actually physically seeing something. If I were to say to you, pink elephants, I bet uh, most of you had an image of pink elephants you were talking about, or uh, ponies jumping over fences. You see something with your mind's eye, an inward picture. And for some of us, that type of the imagination, that, that pictorial imagination, is very, very vivid. There are people who are very good at art and thinking in pictures. I'm not particularly one of them but there are people in the church who think in this way and uh, get stuff all the time in like this. God might speak to you through a picture or a vision you see with your mind's eye and it might be a recurring thought that you're not sure where it's coming from or an awareness of something some feeling that you just can't uh, put your finger on about a situation or a person. I remember a story from Either Dennis Clark, or Alex Buchanan—I can't remember which of them it was. These were, for those of you who don't know who they were, they were uh, amongst the very early uh, leaders of the charismatic movement in uh, England. And there's a story about uh, Dennis, I think it was, that he was in a meeting, and I, I knew people who'd been there. I'm not—this isn't made up. I knew people who, who were there for it. They, the, in the meeting, he. Uh, stopped what he was saying in the middle and said look i'm sorry i just can't get away from the thought of milk bottle tops i feel like god would have me say milk bottle tops and uh i know it sounds nonsense but if that means something to you and you want to pray about it then come forward and pray and i went on with what he was speaking at the end of the meeting someone came forward in floods of tears you think milk bottle tops how what what an absurd prophetic message and yet, uh, at the end, this guy came forward to Dennis for prayer, and he uh, was in floods of tears. And he said, that word that you spoke was for me. And I think, well, what do you mean? It turned out that this guy had, as a child, gone around stealing the silver milk bottle tops off the bottles uh, in the village and town around where he lived. And then years later, he'd become a Christian. And as part of becoming a Christian, he read the Bible, you know, stories of Kirsten and stuff. And he thought, well, I need to go and make amends. That's part of what repentance means. Actually, he was right. That is part of what repentance means. It means, as far as you can, putting it right. And so he'd spent the next few years obsessively trying to find everyone whose milk bottle tops he'd stolen and put it right with them. And it was driving him crazy he couldn't do it he was becoming depressed and down and just bound up with guilt because he couldn't put this right and Dennis was able to minister to him afterwards and to uh, pray with him and explain something of grace to him and actually God isn't looking for us to to fix it all like that in that way you don't you're not earning your salvation uh, by putting it right and actually what he's looking for is a heart change and That one word, milk bottle tops, managed to speak completely to a person. And it seems absurd. An absurd thing to say. It can be something in the natural world or in the physical world that is completely neutral for most people that somehow God takes and just grips with you and uses to communicate a truth to you in a vivid way. Um, I... Uh, I remember a very good friend of mine when we were growing up, and uh, she had been in meetings about uh, baptism with the Spirit, about being filled with the Spirit. She wasn't sure whether this was something she was really interested in. Um, A very clever woman, and uh, it all sounded a bit odd, and she wasn't sure what she thought about it, and she... Uh, was praying and asking God to show her what she should do. And she got into a car, with one of those old-fashioned digital radios where you had to tune the thing in, and as you were tuning it, it would say seeking, or seek, for the, because it was finding the next station. And she got in the car, and the driver pressed the button to, to tune the radio, and um, it was scanning. And all she could see on the dial was the word seek from where she was sitting in the back of the car. And it lived with her. It was as if God took. I know it sounds mad, but God took that what she could see on that screen. And she just knew that she had to start seeking. She knew that she had to start seeking, not actually prophecy. Prophecy is always for somebody else, but it's a it's a. You know, at the moment, I'm trying to explain how God speaks to us. And when he speaks to us for someone else and we share it with them, that becomes prophecy. She just knew that that was what she had to do. She'd been praying and saying, Lord, what do I need to do in response to this teaching? I, I, I find it attractive. I'm not sure about it. I'm a bit scared about it. She got in the car. The guy turned the, the driver sorry, turned on the radio pressed the button, and she all she could see for the rest of the journey, all that lived with her was the word seek. And she went away and prayed about it with someone and was filled with the Spirit and spoke about it vividly afterwards. John Wesley is um, very helpful, I think, on this. Uh, the, he describes the way God speaks to us as an inward impression on the soul. An inward impression on the soul. That's not the Bible, it's Wesley, so... You can feel free to take it or leave it. I find it very helpful. When God's spirit speaks to us, it is an inward impression on our souls. And we're all different. God can speak to us and use us to speak to others in different ways. So what should we do with it when we uh, feel God speaking to us? Well, we need to test it. This comes to the conservative objection. Prophecy isn't the same as scripture. Right? And I mean, we... We know that for all sorts of reasons. First of all, Paul tells us in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20 and onwards that we should test all prophecy. He says, first of all, don't despise it. Don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the spirit. So if you despise prophecy, you might be quenching the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecy. Test everything. Hold on to the good. And leave that which is bad or resist that which is evil. Hold on to the good, and not to that which is not good. Right, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, we prophesy in part. It's in... uh, Verse 9. Chapter 13 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 9. Sorry, I lost the reference for a second. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. God is perfect, he communicates perfectly. We are imperfect, we make mistakes. That might be an unusual thing to say, but you're not speaking words of Scripture. We are speaking words that are tested by Scripture. So if you are feeling like God wants to say something through us, uh, then the first question is, uh, you want to say something to somebody else, is it encouraging, strengthening or comforting for the person we're sharing it with? If the answer is no, then I would uh, question whether or not it's God speaking to them. It might be that it's something... Negative, like a correction, if it's something negative or critical, then never share it publicly. Take it to someone else to check out and share it in private rather than in public. It will never contradict the Bible. Prophecy will never contradict the Bible. The spirit who's inspired the Bible, all scripture Paul tells us is God-breathed. The spirit who inspired the Bible is not going to contradict himself through you. The Bible is true in everything it teaches. What I teach is not true in everything it teaches. The great Bible teacher, M.T. Wright, uh, says that he's wrong about a third of everything he says. He just doesn't know which third it is. Now, he's telling a joke. Hopefully it's not as much as a third. But the point is, I'm fallible. right? And when we prophesy, we are fallible. We need to test it by the Bible. We need to test it by the counsel of what other people think. Sometimes we share stuff during a worship service or in a small group. You will see people occasionally sharing something from the front. We're going to do that in a moment. But often the most helpful time for prophesying and sharing what we feel God is saying is when we're praying with someone or for them. Just privately when we're praying with someone or for, some, for them. And we're going to have a time of reflection and response in a minute. But before we do, I want to share some practical tips for how to begin to move in the prophetic. First of all, this is a gift of the spirit. It's supernatural. It's something God does, not us. If you want to be used to share what God is saying to someone, stay close to God. My my friends, if, if someone comes up to you and asks you, what does Phil think about this or that? And you haven't spoken to me for three or four weeks then you're going to struggle to know. If you want to be able to speak for me, you better stay close to me. If you want to be used to share what God is saying to someone, stay close to God. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, then you need to seek to be filled with the Spirit, I would suggest. Second, ask God to begin to use you to bless others in this way. If we want God to start to use us, then we need to ask him. And then third, begin to speak. What is the worst that can happen? This can be the hardest step. As with tongues, beginning to speak can be the hardest step because we're terrified of looking stupid. But, my friends, in in some ways I want to bring two challenges to that. First of all, if you think God is saying something and it is encouraging, strengthening and comforting for someone, then why not share it? What's the worst that can happen if you're saying something strengthening, encouraging and comforting? And secondly... Love, which is afraid to look foolish, is a pretty weak form of love. If we love each other so little that we're not willing to look a little bit silly. Then, my friends, we don't love each other a lot. And maybe we need to love each other more. Begin to speak. Fourth, don't feel the need to over explain. Just share the one thing that God has put on your heart rather than trying to elaborate it or over interpret it. Don't feel the need to over explain. Finally, give the sense of what God is saying rather than describing exactly what happened to you. You know, I'm not interested in where you were on your bed, what you had for breakfast, all the other stuff that went before it happened. I just want to know what God is saying to me through you. Well, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the gift of prophecy. We thank you that you still speak to us now. Lord, I want to thank you that you care for us and love us now. I just have it in my heart that there are those listening to this who need to know that truth for them. That Lord Jesus Christ loves you and he wants to speak to you now because he cares for you. He says, My child, I still love you. I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you and I can see you and I love you. And I want you to know that you are precious to me. Father, we want to be open to you speaking through us and to us and through each one of us to each other. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.